Welcome to Celebrate Poe, episode 195, More Usher References. This episode is a continuation of episode 194, Usher Reimagined. In this episode, Mr. Poe and I plan to take each episode from Mike Flanagan's version of The Fall of the House of Usher and list some of the Poe references, some that may be quite familiar and others rather obscure to all but a diehard Poe scholar. Number one, episode one, A Midnight Treary. Of course, the title comes from none other than the opening lines of The Raven. Ah, oh, Mr. Bartley, I am unable to escape from the general popularity of the poem. It appears that everyone wants to hear it, but in the ever-present interest of time, I will only read the opening lines. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. "'Only this, and nothing more.' "'Thank you, Mr. Poe. "'Well, now, I'm, of course, I'm sure that most of you are aware uh, "'that the name of the Usher's Fortune 500 company, "'Fortunato Pharmaceuticals, "'comes from the name of one of the main characters "'of the story of the cask of Amontillado.' Mr. Poe, the thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You, who know so well the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitively settled, but the very definitiveness with which I was it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. This is from my story, The Cask of Amontillado. Now, Longfellow, the name of the murdered CEO of Fortunato, is named for another famous poet, Mr. Poe, and I ask you to forgive me for uh, what might come across as rather harsh words. You see, in the 19th century, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was one of the most popular and well-beloved poets in the United States. Yes, uh, I must admit, though, that, uh, uh, Mr. Poe, you wrote a series of rather confusing and argumentative reactions to Longfellow's works, accusing Longfellow of plagiarism. The problem is that your words had little basis in fact. Mr. Bartley, I wrote that we have no idea of commenting at any length upon this plagiarism, and by this I am speaking of Mr. Longfellow. 
which is too palpable to be mistaken, and which belongs to the most barbarous class of literary robbery, that class in which, while the words of the wronged author are avoided, his most intangible, and therefore his least defensible and least reclaimable property, is purloined. Here, with the exception of lapses, which, however, speak volumes, there is nothing of a visible or palpable nature by which the source of the American poem can be established. Uh, Mr. Bartley, this was from a review I wrote for Voices of the Night regarding Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and first published in Burton's Gentleman Magazine in 1840. Well, but uh, to continue, Mr. Poe, of the character of Eliza, Roderick and Madeline's mother in the Netflix series, is named after your dear mother, also known as Elizabeth Arnold. Ah, yes, the, the great author Hobson Quinn, in a critical biography of Edgar Allan Poe, wrote about my dear mother. The life of Elizabeth Arnold was the life of the American theater. Fortunately, perhaps, the little girl could not look into the future. Could, she could not foresee that day you know, on January the 9th, 1809, when again in Boston, struggling against, uh, struggling <clears throat> against anxiety and uncertainty, she had left the stage of the same theater for a brief respite to become the mother of Edgar Poe. To some women, the joy of watching the genius of their sons develop and recognition of their achievements have been given in full measure. But Elizabeth Poe, dying in Richmond in 1811 under distinctly miserable circumstances, could leave her two-year-old boy only her high heart, her unremitting industry, and that indefinable charm which made her a favorite from Boston to Charleston among the theaters of that day, the theater goers of that day. Well, Mr. Pope, I've read that the name of the addictive drug Ligodone, or Ligod, Ligodone, yes, is derived from the short story Legia. Uh, though that, I think that might be pushing it. I could not find the word ligadone in any of your works. Uh, ligadone, however, does start with L-I-G, and Legia starts with L-I-G. But again, I think that's pushing it. I do agree, Mr. Bartley. Now, one might say that the story of Victorine Lafourcade, whose name you may remember comes from the premature burial, is inspired by the telltale heart. Uh, she also does animal testing that ties back to murders in the Rue Morgue. Ah, uh, yes. In the murders in the Rue Morgue, I wrote, as the sailor looked in, the gigantic beast had seized Madame L'Espagne by the hair, which was loose as she had been combing it and was flourishing the razor about her face in imitation of the motions of a barber. The daughter lay motionless. She had swooned. 
the screams and struggles of the old lady during which the hair was torn from her head had the effect of changing the probably pacific purposes of the orangutan into those of wrath. With one determined sweep of his muscular arm, he nearly severed her head from her body. The sight of blood inflamed his anger into frenzy. Gnashing his teeth and flashing fire from his eyes, he flew upon the body of the girl and embedded his fearful talons in her throat, retaining his grasp until she expired. His wandering and wild glances fell at this moment upon the head of the bed, over which the face of his master, rigid with horror, was just discernible. The fury of the beast, who did, who, who no doubt bore still in mind the dreaded whip, was instantly converted into terror. Conscious of having deserved punishment, he seemed desirous of concealing his bloody deeds and skipped about the chamber in an apparent agony of nervous agitation, throwing down and breaking the furniture as he moved and dragging the bed from the bedstead. In conclusion... He seized first the corpse of the daughter and thrust it up the chimney. Well, thank you, Mr. Poe. Now, getting back to Mike Flanagan's take on Usher, both Roderick and Madeline seem to be obsessed with Egyptian artifacts. This seems to come across as (coughs) references to the satirical story, some words with a mummy. Yes, Mr. Bartley. Let me read just a small portion here. The application of electricity to a mummy three or four thousand years old at the least was an idea. If not very sage, still sufficiently original, and we all caught it at once. About one-tenth in earnest and nine-tenths in jest, we arranged a battery in the doctor's study and conveyed thither the Egyptian. Now, Mr. Poe and I would like to talk about some of the Poe references in Episode 2, The Mask of the Red Death. The character of Toby and much of the dialogue of Toby Dammit are from the story, Never Bet the Devil Your Head. In this story, the character's name is Toby Dammit. When I had made an end of my lecture, Mr. Dammit indulged himself in some very equivocal behavior. For some moments he remained silent, merely looking me inquisitively in the face. But presently he threw his head to one side and elevated his eyebrows to a great extent. Then he spread out the palms of his hands and shrugged up his shoulders. Then he winked with the right eye. Then he repeated the operation with the left. Then he shut them both up very tight. Then he opened them both so very wide that I became seriously alarmed for the consequences. Then, applying his thumb to his nose, he thought proper to make an indescribable movement with the rest of his fingers. Yes, Mr. Poe, and the name of the chemist Metzer, introduced in Episode 2, is a shortened form of Metzengerstein. One of the most influential Fortunato executives is named Rufus Griswold, 
<clears throat> Mr. Poe, your literary executor, and perhaps most responsible uh, for giving Mr. Poe as a writer a bad reputation through a scathing obituary of Poe after the writer's death. Much of the first opinions of Poe as a writer were highly influenced by Griswold's jealousy of the writer. The real Rufus Griswold began my obituary with Edgar Allan Poe is dead. He died in Baltimore the day before yesterday. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. The poet was well known personally or by reputation in all this country. He had readers in England and in several of the states of continental Europe. But he had few or no friends. And and, and later, uh, in my obituary, Mr. Griswold wrote about me, saying he was at all times a dreamer, dreaming or dwelling in ideal realms, in heaven or hell, peopled with creatures and the accidents of his brain. He walked the streets in madness or melancholy, with lips moving in indistinct curses, or with eyes upturned in passionate prayers, never for himself. For he felt, or professed to feel, that he was already damned. That certainly is harmful to one's reputation, Mr. Poe. Now, in the television series, Lenore and Frederick named their ship in a bottle, the Grampus. This is also the name of the ship from the narrative of author Gordon Pym. After 18 months after the period of the disaster, the firm of Lloyd and Brandenburg were engaged in repairing and fitting out the brig Grampus for a whaling voyage. She was an old hulk and scarcely seaworthy when all was done to her that could be done. And last, but definitely not least in episode two, is Perry's slash Prospero's encounter with uh, deadly raining acid at his grand party reminiscent of the Mask of the Red Death. And now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel and died each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out of, with that of the last of the gay, and the flames of the tripods expired, and darkness and decay and the red death held illimitable dominion over all. Now, episode number three, Murders in the Rue Morgue. In this episode, Camille's death by primate is based on the murders in the Rue Morgue. Oh, oh, of uh, Madame La Espagne, no traces were here seen, but an unusual quantity of soot being observed in the fireplace, a search was made in the chimney, and, horrible to relate, the corpse of the daughter, head downward, was dragged therefrom. If having been thus forced up the narrow aperture for a considerable distance, the body was quite warm. Upon examining it, many excoriations were perceived, no doubt occasioned by the violence with which it had been thrust up and disengaged. Upon the face were many severe scratches, and upon the throat 
dark bruises and deep indentions of fingernails, as if the deceased had been throttled to death. Uh, This passage is, of course, from my story, The Murders in the Rue Morgue. Now, in a flashback to 1979, uh, in the Mike Flanagan take, young Roderick recites the poem Annabelle Lee in dialogue, and it comes across very well in Flanagan's take on Usher. It was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabel Lee. And this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. Episode 4 is called The Black Cat. And it's pretty obvious that the episode and the fate of the character Leo are based on the story, The Black Cat. The character Dr. Brevet is named after a character from The Man That Was Used Up, one of your lighter stories. Uh, Yes, Mr. Bartley. Uh, Let me read a brief section here. My curiosity, however, had not been altogether satisfied, and I resolved to prosecute immediate inquiry among my acquaintances, touching the Brevet Brigadier General himself, and particularly respecting the tremendous events during the Bugaboo and Kickapoo campaign. Now, episode five, The Telltale Heart. Uh, Now, I don't want to give the Netflix story away, but not surprisingly, there are definite elements of this episode that are reminiscent of your story, The Telltale Heart. And the dialogue that the preacher speaks at the funeral is composed of verses from your poem, Spirits of the Dead. Thy soul shall find itself alone mid dark thoughts of the gray tombstone. Not one of all the crowd to pry into thine hour of secrecy. Be silent in thy solitude, which is not loneliness, for then the spirits of the dead who stood in life before thee are again in death around thee, and their wills shall then o'ershadow thee. Be still. Mr. Poe, the title of episode six is Goldbug, and is inspired by your story, The Goldbug, one of your most popular works during your lifetime. In the Netflix version, the name of the company, and this is episode six, the name of the company is Goldbug. The company's logo is also the image of a goldbug. In this episode, uh, also the story of Tamerlane's life and death that you that she wrote about uh, is uh, based uh, on the one one of the uh, mirror images in William Wilson. Ah, yes, William Wilson. At that instant, some person held the latch of the door. I hastened to prevent an intrusion and then immediately returned to my dying antagonist. By what human language can, but what human language can adequately portray that astonishment, that horror which possessed me at the spectacle that presented to view? The brief moment in which I averted my eyes had been sufficient to produce, apparently, a material change in the arrangements at the upper or farther end of the room. 
A large mirror, so at first it seemed to me in my confusion, now stood where none had been perceptible before. And as I stepped up to it in extremity of terror, my own image, but with features all all pale and dabbled in blood, advanced to meet me with a feeble and tottering gait. From my story, William Wilson. Then there's episode seven, The Pit and the Pendulum. Here, Frederick Usher's fate is decided by a swinging blade, a definite reference to The Pit and the Pendulum. It might have been half an hour, perhaps even an hour, for I could take but imperfect note of time before I again cast my eyes upward. What I then saw confounded and amazed me. The sweep of the pendulum had increased in extent by nearly a yard. As a natural consequence, its velocity was also much greater. But what mainly disturbed me was the idea that it had perceptibly descended. I now observe with with, with what horror it is needless to say that its neither nether extremity was formed of a crescent of glittering steel, about a foot in length from horn to horn, the horns upward, and and the under edge evidently as keen as that of a razor. Like a razor also, it seemed massy and heavy, tapering from the edge into a solid and broad structure above. It was appended to a, a weighty rod of brass, and the whole hissed as it swung through the air. Also in this episode, Frederick becomes obsessed with Morella's smile and ripping out her teeth. That's straight out of Berenice. The livid lips were writhed in a species of smile, and through the enveloping gloom, once again there glared upon me in too palpable reality the white and glistening and ghastly teeth of Berenice. I sprang convulsively from the bed, and uttering no word, rushed forth a maniac from that apartment of triple horror and mystery and death. And when the character of Verna confronts Madeline, she recites the poem, The City in the Sea. Lo, death has reared himself a throne in a strange city, lying alone, far down within the dim west, where the good and the bad and the worst and the best have gone to their eternal rest. There shines shrines and palaces and towers, time-eaten towers that tremble not, resemble nothing that is ours, around by lifting winds forgot, resigning resigning beneath the sky, the melancholy waters lie. Uh, The final episode uh, in Flanagan's series is episode eight and is called The Raven. Here, Igris is basically murdered by brick wall, reminiscent of the cask of Amontillado. A succession of loud and shrill screams bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form seemed to thrust me violently back. For a brief moment I hesitated. I trembled. Unsheathing my rapier, 
I began to grope with it around the recess. But the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I reapproached the wall. I replied to the yells of him who clamored. I re-echoed. I aided. I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this, and the clamorer grew still. There are some other aspects of Flanagan's take on Usher, especially in the last episode that pay homage to Poe's works, uh, but I can't really describe them without giving away uh, a story full of suspense. To bring the cycle full circle, the series ends as it began, with the raven who then appears. You see, Roderick had been receiving texts that had variations of nevermore, words, of course, that will always be associated with Poe and the raven. Mike Flanagan was reported to have said, I'm always happy to see people digging into my work and typically don't want to dissuade someone for uh, whatever meaning they might find there. And today's list of references is not, again, meant to be exhaustive, but hopefully, hopefully show the richness and depth of Flanagan's Netflix version regarding Edgar Allan Poe. Join Celebrate Poe for episode 196, Poe and Halloween. Sources include The Raven, The Cask of Amontillado, a review of Voices of the Night from Burton's Gentleman's Magazine, The Murders in the Rue Morgue, Some Words with a Mummy, The Mask of the Red Death, Metzengerstein, the narrative of author Gordon Pym, The Murders in the Rue Morgue, Annabelle Lee, The Man Who Was Used Up, Spirits of the Dead, William Wilson, The Pit and the Pendulum, Annabelle Lee, Berenice, The City and the Sea, and The Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe. Also, a critical biography of Edgar Allan Poe by author Hobson Quinn, and of course, Mike Flanagan's The Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.